Welcome to the podcast. Before the lesson today, I just want to give you a quick update on how things are coming along for my Philippines trip. Um, I've been working on a series of five lectures that I'll give as part of my ministry there in the Philippines. Uh, Dr. Indino asked me to prepare five lectures on the topic of biblical apologetics to give to the Bible students there. And um, when I say five lectures, he said to prepare for 20 hours total, including question and answer time. Uh, so these are not short lectures either. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. I, I love the topic of biblical apologetics. You know, when we're talking about apologetics, we're not talking about um, apologizing in sort of the common use of the word, but we're talking about making a defense and defending the truths of God's word against various various uh, critics and um, you know people who would try to try to detract from the truth of the word of God and uh, this is something that I really kind of cut my teeth on as far as teaching ministry goes um, some of you know that the first few years of my teaching ministry I was teaching primarily in internet chat rooms and you know that internet chat rooms can be kind of a brutal place sometimes um, you know anybody could come in and and uh, people came in from all different backgrounds and often they would want to come in and argue about certain points and uh, you learn a lot about biblical apologetics you learn a lot about defending what you believe in in uh, that kind of an environment and uh, so I'm looking forward to passing on some of those things to the the Filipino students and we'll talk about um, objections often they're brought by unbelievers as well as people that are involved in false religions and and various things and and you know the kinds of attacks that people make on on specific doctrines and um, so that's going to be an exciting thing I'd ask you to pray for me as I prepare those lessons and pray that they would be beneficial to the the uh, Filipino Bible students I also wanted to share with you something that that happened last night um, I was eating at a local restaurant that is owned by a, a friend of mine, somebody that I that I went to school with, and and somebody that I've um, had some business dealings with from time to time. And um, as we were sitting there eating, he came out to the table, and and um, I greeted him, and he pulled out his checkbook, and he said, "I want to help with your trip," and. Uh, wrote out a check there and um, I just I thank God for things like that uh, for the generosity of people that have have uh, helped with the expenses for this trip in some cases people that are not even uh, really believers in Christ but they have some some relationship with me in some way and uh, have decided that they want to help out and uh, I I thank God for that and I thank God for the the ministry opportunities that that is creating not just when I get to the Philippines but here in my in my local area you know as as people are hearing about uh this trip I'm planning to take and and the various uh ministry activities that I'll be involved in and and I would just ask you to uh pray for that man pray for uh the folks that have have helped so far uh with the expenses and and in some cases this is creating ministry opportunities already and uh, I am still working to kind of kind of finish up uh, all of the finances here for the trip uh some of the major expenses have already been um 
been taken care of, but um, there is some additional opportunity if you'd like to help support uh, this this Philippines conference trip. I should say that if I wind up, and there's a possibility I may wind up with extra money for the trip. Uh, you know, if, if things that people have given and money that I've put into the trip, um, you know, works out to more than what I need, uh, that money will just go to either Grace Beyond Borders or, um, you know, one of the, the ministries that I'll be involved with there while I'm in the Philippines. So if there is extra money that comes in, it'll still be used toward uh, Filipino ministry work. But um, again, there's a couple different ways if you'd like to support um, this ministry opportunity. Uh, if if you want to give online, you can go to GoFundMe.com slash Richard Church, or if you're on GoFundMe, search for uh, Philippines Conference Trip, and uh, you'll find that campaign there. You can give through the GoFundMe campaign. Uh, or if you'd, if you'd rather send a check in the mail, you can send that to Friendship Congregational Bible Church, 100 Adams Street, Friendship Wisconsin and just, uh, you know, mark it, put a note on it that it's for Richard Church missions trip. I just want to just want to say how thankful I am for those that have given already. And I hope you'll continue to be in prayer for me and be in prayer for the, the saints in the Philippines that are making the, the conference preparations and for Dr. Indino. Uh, just keep this whole endeavor in prayer. And um, I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. turn again to Acts chapter 9, and we'll begin in verse 20. And straightway he, that's Saul, preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Damascus, remember, is not in really in Israel proper. Uh, Damascus is up to the north of Israel in Syria, and Damascus would have been... Uh, a very prominent city of the day. And even though it's not in Israel, there there's a large Jewish population there. And the, the synagogue, or synagogues, there's multiple synagogues there at Damascus. Um, again, there would have been a sizable Jewish population, and, and they would have even wielded a, a fair degree of power there in the city, even though they're not in uh, Jerusalem or you know one of the one of the uh, Israelite cities and he, he's in the synagogues preaching that Jesus is the son of God now again we we see how the Lord had told Ananias that his purpose for Saul was to bear his name before Gentiles and kings and 
the nation of Israel. Okay, But we see him going to the synagogue first. And you see that early in Paul's ministry. Now, there are, there are several things that play into that. Um, first of all, the, the, the Jews in the synagogues already have some understanding of the word of God. And so when he's preaching to them, it's not like when he, when he preaches to the Athenians and talks to them about the unknown God, and, and everything he has to say is strange to them. Like, he talks about, about resurrection, you know, yeah, about resurrection, and the, and the Athenians just, that's strange to them. Um, the, the Jews in the synagogues would be the people that would have kind of the, 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 the strongest foundation already for him to build on and preach to them that Jesus is the Christ. Um, furthermore, a lot of the things that Paul later would teach about Jew and Gentile being made one, a lot of those things hadn't been revealed clearly yet. Okay, so so at this point, I mean, understand this is the the first few years of of Paul's ministry. Um, Paul's early epistles, you know, they they all contain some elements of this idea of the Jew first, and they aren't written until. 20 years after this, okay? And so so he's going there to the synagogue, and that's his practice through much of the book of Acts. Um, Although the inevitable result, there's very few exceptions to this, the inevitable result is that the Jews in the synagogue reject what he has to tell them. There may be a, a few here and there that believe, but by and large, they reject, and very often what Paul does, uh, at least later in the book of Acts, is as he's rejected in the synagogue, that provides the opportunity for him to speak to the Gentiles. Okay, Here you see that, that uh, he's not well received in the synagogues at Damascus. And, and he preaches there that Jesus is the Son of God. And you see it says, All that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. And so they view Saul as, as a traitor. You know, they knew, I, I mean, Ananias knew, apparently everybody knew, that Saul was coming there for the purpose of destroying believers in Jesus Christ. And when he shows up, now he's preaching Jesus Christ. And you see, it says that that despite that, it says Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Now, it says he confounded them and he proved that Jesus was Christ, the, the Jewish Messiah. So what he's doing is he's taking their scriptures, really at this point, not, I think it's pretty safe to say that none of the New Testament had been written at this point. Uh, he's taking their Old Testament, the, the written scriptures, and he's showing them all these passages that prove that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And you, you notice it says that he confounded them and he proved it. That doesn't mean that large numbers of them believed. And, and that's something, you know, you, you could spend all day, every day, debating the truth of God's word with people. And you could prove, you can prove, you know, present the the most sound, logical, reasonable case for the truth of the word of God and not actually see anybody get saved from that. 
because because you understand that um, the the work of the gospel is not a matter of convincing people of its rationality. Uh, in fact, in fact, the scripture is clear that the wisdom of God is foolishness to men, and and it's not a matter of just convincing somebody that something is true. Uh, I mean, you you may even succeed in convincing somebody that certain aspects of the word of God are true, and yet they continue to be just as lost as they ever were. And and you see here, I mean, he's, he's succeeding in the respect, he's when it says he increased in strength, he's able to, to present uh, these things in a, in a very strong manner, uh, and he confounds them. He, he's, he's leaving them much like Christ himself did, He's leaving them. They don't have a way to answer. They don't have a way to, to prove him wrong, but that doesn't mean they believe either. And you think about all the times where, where Christ himself left the, the religious leaders speechless because they either, they either couldn't answer what he was saying to them or they didn't want to answer because they knew their answer would make them look ridiculous or would lose them favor with the people or, or whatever. And yet that's not the same as, as getting somebody to believe. And so sometimes it can be very gratifying to the flesh to have a debate with somebody and present a good argument and leave them speechless. But it's also not always the most fruitful thing either. And, uh, you know, Saul is, is having success here in that respect, that he's confounding them. But you see, verse 23, after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Now, this is the first of many times in, in uh, Saul's life that he will have near escapes from persecution, from other kinds of things, shipwrecks, um, these kinds of things. You know, these, these biblical cities, any kind, any city of any size in the Bible had a wall around it. In fact, that's really in the Bible what, that's the distinguishing characteristic of a city as opposed to a village. These walls often, you know, the, you would have homes that were built right into the walls. So you would have windows possibly on the outside of the wall. And that's how Paul is escaping here. They're watching the gates. For him, and that's why you would have a wall and gates, as you can keep an eye on who's coming and going from your city. Um, you can the gates of the city uh, would be a place of commerce and that kind of thing, and you would you know you could keep tabs on who's coming and going. But they let him out by a basket out of one of these windows, uh, you know, someplace where they're not looking for him, and that's how he's able to escape. And this is where then he visits Jerusalem. You see in verse 26, it says, When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Um, now we know from Galatians, we looked at the passage in the last lesson, we know that this is actually three years by this point after his encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. And so this is also something to understand about the book of Acts is that the book of Acts will often skip over long periods of time with very little commentary about what happened. And so sometimes just reading the book of Acts, you get a little bit of a skewed picture of, uh, of 
the time periods involved. Uh, one of the things also to keep in mind about the book of Acts is that the book of Acts, uh, often, often people will identify, kind of the mainstream church will say that the book of Acts is about the birthday of the church. And that's really not true at all. Uh, really, the book of Acts is about this setting aside of Israel. And so the book of Acts focuses on Israel. There are many times where we learn about Paul's Gentile ministry in other places um, where it's kind of skipped over here in the book of Acts. There's, there's times where uh, Paul will go into a certain city and it'll talk about him going into the synagogue and being rejected and then it'll talk about him going to the next city. And you read Paul's account in other places and you find out he was really there for quite a long period of time ministering to the Gentiles, but Luke in the book of Acts only tells you about him going into the synagogue. And so, so realize that the book of Acts is not designed to give you a comprehensive account of everything that Paul did in this early ministry and realize that what it tends to leave out are things having to do with the Gentiles. It tends to focus on the ministry in the synagogues and the ministry to the Jews because that Luke's purpose and God's purpose in inspiring the book of Acts is to show the setting aside of Israel. Now that's happening concurrently with the revelation of the dispensation of grace and the uh, growing focus on the Gentiles. And so you see that recorded in the book of Acts, but that's not the focus of the book of Acts. All right. And, and so there's a period of three years between Paul's conversion and when he's going to come here to Jerusalem. Now, you see what everybody's first reaction is regarding Saul. Ananias' reaction, the unbelieving Jews at Damascus, it was their reaction, and now the disciples at Jerusalem, their reaction is, hey, wasn't this the guy that was trying to find the Christians and put them to death? Right? Um, and so they don't believe, it says at the end of verse 26, they believe not that he was a disciple. They think he's, a, a, you know, going undercover or something, uh, trying to figure out who the Christians are so that he can have them put to death. Verse 27, it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now, remember, this is happening at a time where these believers at Jerusalem have been filled with the Holy Ghost, right? They're, I mean, they're de declaring the, the things of God's word, but they're taken by surprise that God would save this chief persecutor uh, and apparently even the apostles because Barnabas has to come and make the case uh, that this is legitimate. And one of the, one of the uh, things that that we kind of began to see in the last lesson is that, you know, you would expect, you would expect that if, if Paul is just preaching the same things that Peter and the 12 had already been preaching, you would expect that what he would try to do is he would try and draw the close connection between himself and them, right? He would try and, and say, well, I'm just, I'm just preaching what they preached. And yet we see, let's go to a, a passage that we looked at last time. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. What we see instead from Paul is we see him trying to distance himself from those other apostles. 
So that in Galatians chapter 1, he says in verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wants to make it clear that he did not learn what he was teaching from Peter and the Twelve. He got it directly from Jesus Christ, which might cause you to wonder, I mean, if Paul's just preaching the same things they were preaching, why did Christ have to give Paul special revelation to learn it? Why couldn't he have just told him, go to Peter and Peter will tell you what it says? You know, why, why duplicate that effort if it's all the same thing? He says, you, you've heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. He wants to make it clear that he's not somebody that was disillusioned with Judaism and so decided to, to believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, he, was, he was a zealous Jew. He profited above his equals. He was a, a leading light in Judaism. Verse 15, he says, But when it pleased God, notice it's not when I made the good choice to, to believe on Jesus Christ because he wasn't, he wasn't convinced uh, by having a debate with somebody, or he wasn't, you know, he had to he had to see the Lord to believe. He says, when it pleased God, God was the actor there. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately, he says, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now, again, he's going to describe some things here that aren't accounted for. In the book of Acts, uh, for instance, in the book of Acts, after he receives his sight, he says he's certain days with the disciples at Damascus. But he's making it clear here. He says he didn't get what he what he's teaching from flesh and blood. Uh, it wasn't that those disciples at Damascus filled him in on everything he needed to preach. We can we can kind of presume that as he's going to talk about going into Arabia here, that that's where those things began to be revealed. Um, he says, I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Now, this would be what we're reading about in Acts 9, right? So after three years, he goes to Jerusalem. So there's three years between the time he gets saved and the time he ever meets one of the apostles, and then and then he says that he's only there for 15 days. He's just there for a little more than two weeks. Uh, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. He says he was unknown by face because he certainly was not unknown by reputation. Everybody seems to know who he is and know what he's up to and know what his specific plans are, right? But he was unknown by face because he didn't have any contact with them. And verse 23 says, But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And you see, he says, They glorified God in me. So there's a point at which they realize this is legitimate 
and they begin to glorify God in him. But why does Paul go to all this trouble here in the, in the book of Galatians? Half of a chapter, really, and the book of Galatians only has six chapters. So uh, you're talking about a significant percentage of this letter to the Galatians. Paul spends trying to distance himself from Peter and the Twelve. And, and downplay any time that he spent with them or anything that he learned from them. Um, we could keep reading, and he talks about how on a later trip to Jerusalem, where they do have some extensive debate and have to hash some things out before uh, between them, he says, uh, for instance, if you go to, go to verse 6 of chapter 2, he says, but of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat, he says, in conference added nothing to me, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, um, he says, when they saw that, if you keep reading, that they gave him the right hand of fellowship. And so he says, even when we did get together and have extensive conversations, they didn't add anything to me. Contrary-wise, I was able to explain some things to them that gave them a better understanding. And, you know, we left, we left friends with the right hand of fellowship. Okay? And so, so he's making that point. So really he's even spending more than half a chapter to make that point that there is nothing that he's teaching here that he received from Peter and the Twelve, it all came from Christ directly, and some of it led to conflict with Peter and the Twelve. That had to be worked out, and when that took place, he says, they didn't, they didn't add anything to me that I didn't have already, and instead they understood some things they hadn't understood previously. And so, really, Paul's making a strong case here that the revelation that he has from the Lord supersedes some things that Peter and the Twelve had understood previously. So, Back in Acts chapter 9, so where we're at here then in our text is where he goes to Jerusalem that first time, and he's there for 15 days with Peter. And uh, you see it's, it's Barnabas. Barnabas has to work as the, the go-between there. He's, he's the one that's trusted, that's able to bring Saul and convince them of uh, his, his genuine belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the first place where we see Barnabas in the book of Acts. Uh, if you go back to Acts chapter 4, you can see where Barnabas first appears. And um, he also has a, another name. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36 is where we see Barnabas. It says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so Barnabas here is a, is a, a disciple. He's one of these believers here. It doesn't really make it clear how long he had been a believer or, or anything like that. It calls him Joseph there, and there are some other people with that name um, that appear to be different people than than Barnabas. Joseph would be just the New Testament form of the name Joseph, which was a very common name. And you see that this, this uh, name Barnabas is a surname that he's given by the apostles. 
And you see that very often with these believers that they'll have another name. Sometimes it's to distinguish them from somebody else who has the same name. But uh, they give him this name Barnabas, and then that's what he's known by throughout the rest of the, the book of Acts. You see it means the son of consolation. He is a Levite, um, so he would be a, a, a part of that that tribe that was chosen by God to specially serve him, whether he was active in that service or not, isn't clear. It says he's from the country of Cyprus. So he's not somebody that, that, you know, was originally from Jerusalem, but uh, he's out there on that, that island in the Mediterranean, not far from Israel. And you see, he's one of those who sells his land, brings the money, lays it at the apostles feet. And if you, if you keep reading then chapter five, goes on to talk about Ananias and Sapphira, who you remember had some land and sold it and then lied about the price. So it seems to mention Barnabas here as like the good example of somebody who was legitimately selling what he had and, and having all things common in contrast with some people like Ananias and Sapphira who lied about those things and suffered the penalty for it. And, and so Barnabas, you see, is this faithful man and uh, we don't know how he encountered Saul or, or any of that, but he's then the one that is kind of the bridge and the go-between, and he brings, brings Saul there to the apostles and recounts all these events that we've been talking about. And you see in verse 28, it says he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And the the apostles, he, he says he's, he only saw Peter, of the apostles he only saw Peter and James the Lord's brother. Now, that's a different James from the James that was one of the twelve, uh, but certainly somebody with a prominent place in that Jerusalem church. And so he's there with them for, he tells us in Galatians, 15 days. And verse 29 we see a, a common theme here. It says, He spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Now, here specifically, it is the Grecians that are upset with Saul. And the, the Grecians here are not Gentiles. Okay, This is a, this is a term for Greek-speaking Jews. And, you know, one of the controversies uh, among Judaism at that time, and still somewhat a controversy today, is the degree to which they should um, adopt Gentile culture. And so the Grecian Jews were Jews who spoke the Greek language, adopted Greek customs. Now understand we're, we're in the Roman Empire here, but Rome, Rome basically continued up continued on many of the, the customs of the Greeks. And so to the Romans, the Greeks were considered like the, the intelligentsia. So while Latin would have been the language of the Roman Empire, Greek was the language of the intellectuals. And so, so these Grecian Jews would be the, the Greek-speaking Jews who had adopted those Hellenistic uh, customs and language. And if you remember, Saul's background is that he's a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were separatists. The Pharisees said, no, we should speak Hebrew, not Greek. We should be distinctively Jewish, Hebrew. We have our own customs. We don't need to adopt the pagan Greek customs. Okay? And they were the, the law keepers. You know, the Grecians, in a lot of cases, would compromise a lot of the issues of the law 
in order to adopt Greek culture, where the Pharisees were the hardliners. And Saul had been one of those Pharisees. Now, also often along with that is that, that uh, the Grecians adopted many Greek ideas and even religious ideas. So that the Sadducees, um, who, I mean, that would be the religious sect who would probably be most associated with the Grecian Jews, the Sadducees didn't believe, they didn't take a lot of the things of the word of God literally. They didn't believe that there even was a, a resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits. Um, they didn't necessarily believe that a Messiah, that a literal Messiah was going to come. And so as Paul is, is teaching the word of God there, and, and he's teaching about these things like resurrection and certainly would have believed and taught the, the reality of the spiritual world and the existence of the devil and those kinds of things. And, and probably this issue of resurrection often becomes an issue of contention. The Grecians are the ones that are upset with him and they go about to kill him. And so now you know why he only stayed there 15 days. It took him two weeks to make enough people mad at him to try and kill him. And then verse 30 says, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. And so these, you know, he hasn't even really begun his apostolic journeys yet, but he's moved around quite a bit. Uh, he began in Damascus. He's gone down to Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, they send him to Caesarea. Now Caesarea is north of Jerusalem, uh, be northwest of Jerusalem. It's on the Mediterranean coast. And Caesarea is where a lot of the Roman government functions were, were centered. Later, he's going to stand trial in Caesarea. Okay, They send him there first, and eventually they send him to Tarsus. Now remember, he's known as Saul of Tarsus. That's his hometown, and that's outside of Israel altogether, even farther than what Damascus would be. Damascus is kind of kind of close to Israel, but the the brethren, it doesn't sound here like he does that of his own accord, but they insist. And and it's not it's not so much to, to get rid of him because of the controversy, but it's for his own safety. And so he goes back there to where his home is in Tarsus and outside of Israel in an area where it's going to be many, many more Gentiles than Jews. And that's where we leave Saul at the end of verse 30. And verse 31 says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.